Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning again. Good morning. It's great to see you. I am uh, Father Morgan Reed, the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. Um, and as we get started, uh, let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, this week I was reading some fun stories of survival, and I came across this story of a man named Sir Ernest Shackleton, uh, who set out in 1914, so just over 100 years ago, uh, to be the first to cross Antarctica on foot. Unfortunately... In 1915, his ship was crushed by sea ice, and there was a crew of 27 people that he was leading, and they ended up being stranded on an ice floe, which is kind of the worst thing I can think of. (laughs) And after that, by 1916, after being trapped on an ice floe, they made it to an island, an island called Elephant Island, and unfortunately, Elephant Island is uninhabited. Uh, It is a barren wasteland. And so once they got there, they had a rescue vessel with them. So he set out with a five-person crew and the largest um, lifeboat that they had over the world's harshest sea to make it towards, uh, to go towards the island of South Georgia near, near Antarctica. So for two weeks, these five men sailed in the, in the sea with no waterproof clothing and the kept the boat afloat by taking buckets of water and scooping out the water. Again, this is the harshest sea. If you've seen any of those like shows about crabbing and you see those giant swells of water, like that's what they're on in a little five-person vessel. But once they finally reached the island of South Georgia and they got to the coastline, a hurricane then came and made it nearly impossible for them to get onto the island. After several tries, they finally made it to the island through a little inlet. And then once they got on the island, if that wasn't enough, once they landed, they had to scale glacier-covered mountains on the island that were running down the middle of the island in order to reach this little Norwegian whaling station. And it was from there, the Norwegian whaling station, that they were able to receive rescue, not just for themselves, but actually for all the men who were also still stranded at Elephant Island. It's amazing, but by some miracle, all 27 people made it. And, um, and they made it out alive. And so this two-year journey, you know, it was supposed to be him crossing the Arctic on foot, turned into something completely different, something that no one could have imagined, and it was something that no one wanted to ever repeat. And I would imagine that after that experience, No one ever wanted to try for again. Um, And in our passage this morning in the book of Romans, we encounter people who are more lost than Sir Ernest Shackleton. Um, But we also hear this story in the book of Romans about a God who is better at finding us than we are at getting lost. 
And, and each one of us was created by a God who loves us. We were made good to reflect his image and his character. And from the earliest moments of our lives, as we become aware of the world around us more and more, we, are, we grow lost without Christ. And, and we've all ended up losing ourselves as we set out to experience what God has for us. Maybe there was a bad decision here, a health challenge there, another trial here, a broken relationship there, an unmet expectation about how life should be. And we find ourselves tossed at sea, looking for a shore and longing to be home. And even if we land somewhere, it feels like we're looking up at these glacier-filled mountains and we wonder, how in the world did I end up here? How, how did things get like this? Is this really the life that God planned for me? Is this what was supposed to be good? And unlike Shackleton, who had to make it to a whaling station, a very physical, geographical location to receive help, the moment that you and I come to the realization uh, that this is not how things were supposed to be, that we are broken and we are in need of God's help, once we realize that, when we call out for God's help, we are in the right place to receive God's help and all that he has for us in his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And so if that is where we find ourselves this morning, uh, I should say not if, but that, that place is where we find ourselves this morning in the book of Romans. We're in the right place to receive God's help through the Holy Spirit for the usefulness of our trials so that we can rejoice in God's saving work that he does in us. For the summer, our lectionary, which is kind of like our Sunday Bible reading calendar, How's us spending a lot of time in the book of Romans? And so we're going to be in the book of Romans all summer. I would encourage you to make that part of your own summer reading. And St. Paul writes this letter to Christians, as the letter says, who are in Rome. These Christians he has not actually met before. Uh, he didn't start this church. But he writes to them somewhere in the mid to late 50s A.D. on his third missionary journey. We don't know the occasion of writing, why he's writing, um, but because the letter addresses so many deep theological topics, some people have argued that one of the major reasons that he wrote this letter to a church that he hasn't met is so that when he does travel from Jerusalem to Spain, he has a place to stop on the way there. So this is sort of like, here's an introduction to me and what I'm all about so that I can create this friendship, so that when I need to stop by, I have friends on my way to Spain. And while Christians in Rome were both Jews and Gentiles, it seems that the letter is addressing an audience that has a majority of Gentile believers in Jesus. So we see this shift happening from a predominantly Jewish church to a predominantly Gentile church. And he spent the first four chapters in the book of Romans presenting and focusing on how God has acted in Christ to bring individual sinners back to a new relationship with himself. And so section five, this section in chapter five, it starts a new section from chapters five to about eight. And it's a section that is focused on hope. Hope is something that we all need. And, and hope is in the eternal life, in the glory that God has brought about for his people. 
Today's passage is all about hope. And there are three aspects to the hope that he's going to talk about. It's, it's what we stand in. It's what we've been given. And it's what we rejoice in. What we stand in, what we've been given, what we rejoice in. And so we start with verses 1 and 2. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're following in your, in your Bibles, Romans 5, 1 and 2, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace it takes the scene from the courtroom where we often think about justification being declared right. And it takes this discussion into the realm of relationships, relationship with God, relationship with each other. If we're not at peace with God, then we don't know and we won't be at peace with one another because the peace with, that we have with God um, is the foundation for having peace with who God has made us to be as well. And if we don't have peace with that, we can't have peace with one another. Standing in God's grace makes it possible for us to grow into who God has made us to be in Christ. And, and the result then is that we have real relationships with one another because there's a confidence um, and a groundedness in who God has made us in his image. And the hard reality, though, if we think about it, is that we don't, we don't live in a world that knows God's peace. Instead, we live in a world filled with lost people who are wondering why they're made, who are very anxious, uh, especially about self-actualization. The question of, like, I need to learn how to become who I was really meant to be. That question can be anxiety-inducing in a world that does not know the peace of Christ. How do we become who God has made us to be? And so we try to find self-actualization through all kinds of things that fall short of the glory of God. We know ourselves, and we get to know who we are and why we're made through the cross and the resurrection. In the act of dying to ourselves and living in the resurrection life of God, we weren't just saved from something, uh, which, you know, maybe that's how you've heard this passage taught. We were saved for something, to be all that God has created us to be in Christ. And so in this grace we stand, and in this grace is where we have access uh, to, to Jesus Christ himself. So standing in the grace of God is the first aspect of hope. The second is that we have received something. We have received the love of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the second part of this passage is all about. Verse 5 tells us that God's hope will not leave us ashamed in a world that would see us as foolish because of their desire to avoid suffering at all costs. We can press into suffering and not be put to shame. As verses 3 and 4 remind us, tribulations produce endurance. That's what the text says. Endurance produces good character, and good character produces hope. And, and the hope that we have is not going to leave us ashamed. But the world has no patience. And as a result, it doesn't know righteous character. And the gospel then gives us this hope against the grain of an impatient culture. Because we know what to do with suffering. What's being forged in us by the fire of the Holy Spirit is the very image of God. And so I was looking back at one of my favorite set of homilies. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. It's the pseudo-Macarian homilies from the 4th century, 5th century. They were attributed to Macarius the Egyptian. 
They were written in Greek, and they probably weren't from Macarius the Egyptian. They were probably written in Roman Syria. But in homily 11, he compares idolatrous Israel then to the three young men who are persecuted in the book of Daniel, and then to us, and he connects them all through the image of fire. He says, according to the Israelites' secret intention and in their thoughts, they wanted to practice idolatry. So the fire, in a similar way, converted the vessels that had been cast into it into an idol. And then they openly worshipped idols. But just as the three young men bent on doing righteous deeds received within themselves the fire of God and adored the Lord in truth. So also now faithful souls receive in an interior way that divine and heavenly fire in the present life. Even now, let me read that. Even now, faithful souls receive in an interior way that divine and heavenly fire in this present life. And that fire fashions a heavenly image upon their human nature. So the Holy Spirit is this forging fire in us. Jesus has rescued us from the darkness of this present age and the judgment in a future age, giving us his Holy Spirit now to complete the work of purifying the darkness that still influences our lives and still sort of nips at our heels. The Holy Spirit forges our good intentions so that we are hammered out to more clearly and deeply reflect the image and love of God in us. So then trials. Trials are this necessary element of forging. Uh, And unfortunately, there's no substitute for them. You can't substitute anything else to experience intimacy with the Holy Spirit. We can't shortcut a relationship with God. But by the Holy Spirit, trials then are an invitation to hope. And I love that this passage goes there. Trials are an invitation of the Holy Spirit to hope. It's great news that the Holy Spirit's been poured into our hearts. The love of God rests on us, He indwells us, and that is our hope. And so because of that, our hope never leaves us ashamed when suffering comes. Our hope has us standing in the grace of God. Hope comes from the fact that we've received the Holy Spirit. Those were the first two aspects. The third aspect is hope is our boast because God has delivered us and he has reconciled us to himself. And that ties back into the grace in which we stand. There's this helpful explanation of of God's grace from St. John Chrysostom. He says, "What, what grace is it to which we have access? That's the question. It's being counted worthy of the knowledge of God, being forced to abandon error, coming to a knowledge of the truth, obtaining all the blessings which come through baptism For we were not reconciled merely in order to receive forgiveness of sins. We were meant to receive countless additional benefits as well. The grace of God in which we stand is the very thing in which we're now growing as we learn to make God's deliverance and reconciliation the thing that we brag about. There are a number of things that we could brag about in this world, but we're a people whose bragging, whose boasting is supposed to be on the reconciliation that God does in his people. And Satan is going to do a lot to bring shame to each one of us, to isolate us, to bring us to places of despair. And so we can often think that we have too much wrong with us within the scope of what God's grace can save. Like that can be a tempting thought for us. So boasting in salvation, I think in an active way, 
is this helpful commemoration of God's grace. If you're tempted to think there's too much I've done wrong to be within the scope of God's saving grace, then what we need to do is commemorate the grace of God to push back against the shame and the isolation that Satan wants to bring. God has done more to bring us into a right relationship with himself than we have done to keep him from it. And so this morning, I don't want what lies, I don't know what lies you and I are tempted to believe this morning. As you think about, um, as you sit here and you think about what lies you're tempted to believe, um, you know, especially around images of what is the good life. I think it's a helpful question to ponder. I was thinking about a few questions in preparation for this. Questions like, you know, I would be happy if, how would you answer that question? Life would just be better if we lived in X, Y, or Z location. This is a constant for people in the northern Virginia, D.C. area. Life would be better if I just lived in X, Y, or Z place. I, I would look better if I could change this thing about me. I could just do more if I had more, if I had X, Y, or Z thing. And so those questions are helpful surface-level questions to drill down to what our deepest longings and affections are. What do we find ourselves then boasting about? What do we brag about? What do we spend time telling people about in our lives? And those things are all indicators of what we're standing in, the things that cause us to rejoice, ultimately what our hope is in. So deliverance from sin and reconciliation with God uh, and with one another even with who we are actually made to be, is supposed to be the boast that's on our lips. We're not, gonna, um, we're not going about uh, through the wilderness any longer, trying to find the place that we need to be in in order to receive rescue, just in recognizing our need for God's help and commemorating His grace is where we are best prepared to receive God's saving help. And so the grace that we stand in now gives us glimpses of the ways that we are ultimately going to be at home with the Lord. And so I would recommend short prayers throughout the day. You know, Jesus, help. I need your help. Sometimes that's the only thing you can get out. Uh, But if you can at least get that out in the midst of a really complicated day, you are closer to the grace of God for having asked the Lord for his help. We're tempted to go through without asking for help. So just these short prayers. We, re, we need reminders that we are standing in God's grace. Because we've received the Holy Spirit. And now we can rejoice in the work that God's done in us. And that's our hope. And so let's continue on this journey together. Enduring affliction with prayer to God. And resting in that unshakable hope together. Let me pray for us. God, you have made us in your image, and you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred that infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love, and work through our struggle and our confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth. That in your good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.